This is the Dave and Shecky Show. We got this groovy podcast for ya. Reviewing crazy tunes or quoting Twain and Sting and Doom. We'll bring ideas to share like bonus points for extra flair. Cause it's the freaking Dave and Shecky Show. Show. We're bringing you this groovy review. We might preview movies, bake some bread, or drink some smoothies. So come on, have way too much caffeine. You roll up some rivers, I'll reference some Raffi. This is the Dave and Shecky Show. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to our analysis of The Deal with Stan. The what? The Deal with Stan. What's that? That is what the show's topic is. Daily Stan. What? The deal with Stan. Who's Stan? Uh, the obsessed fan of Eminem. Now, the oh. deal with Stan is either that or maybe I thought it was about Meg Tilly. Mm-mm. Mm. Tilly Meg. Steely Dan, Millie. Cheeky. I've got a band for you. Uh-huh. It's my new English Steely Dan cover band. It's uh. called Cheeky Dan. I see. Cheeky Dan. Hello. We're Cheeky Dan. Okay. You love it. I just that's, want... That's all our motto is, you love it. I see. Cheeky Dan, you love it. Uh, well, that's very cheeky of you. Uh, I will just say that uh, Meg Tilly has a great voice, a great... Uh, not, I, don't, I don't mean singing, just like when she's voice-overing or... She's no Jennifer Tilly. Jennifer Tilly. Oh, am I confusing them? I don't know. I don't, who's who? Doesn't she have a sister? One of the Tilly girls has a great speaking voice. <laughs> I don't know who. Anyway, welcome, welcome, welcome to uh, episode number 66. 66 of the Middle-Aged Cool Kids Super Terrific Podcast featuring your pals. Uh, Denny Diaz, man, and uh, Jeff Skunk Baxter. Which one am I? Yeah, you can tell me and I'll tell you what you've done. I would like to be Jeff Skunk Baxter. Oh, that sounds like a blues well. brother uh person you happen to be a very innovative guitar player thank you who then mm-hmm. switched careers from the music industry yes to the national defense uh industry oh. or whatever you might call that industry i'm awesome and he is a computer guy who has designed national defense systems for the pentagon was he not a blues brother he was not a Blues Brother. He was That's not correct. in the Blues Brother movie? No. Shoot. Okay. And who that are you? is Steve Cropper. I see. And who are you? I am Denny Diaz, man. Uh-huh. I uh, answered an uh, ad in the Village Voice back in the, six, in the early 70s. Oh. And uh, that ad was placed by Walter Becker and Donald Fagan, mm. man. I'm the cat who plays guitar on Asia, dude. Even though they fired me from the band, I came back, and, you know, I'm, I'm throughout the years still with the band. You got Moogie Klingman. Whoa, take it ish. Remember what Moogie said in the documentary? He got fired right off the stage. No, that did not happen. That's what he said. That might have happened to him. Uh, yeah. That did not happen to Jeff Scott. No, Danny Diaz. Exactly. It didn't happen to him either. Anyway. Danny uh, Diaz, oh, okay. very innovative player. All right. So that's who I am. I'm a very innovative player. Well, that's probably true. You are making defense weapons for the uh, Pentagon. Perhaps I am. Perhaps I 
am. Anywho, uh, this is our episode all about Steely Dan. According to Wikipedia, Steely Dan is an American rock duo founded in 1972 by core members Walter Becker and Donald Fagan, blending rock, jazz, Latin music, reggae, traditional hey, pop, R&B, blues, what? and sophisticated what? studio production. Latin music? With cryptic and ironic lyrics, the band enjoyed critical and commercial success starting... Uh, starting from the early 1970s until breaking up in 1981. Yeah, Castilian Dan's really known for their Latin music. Throughout their career, the duo recorded with a revolving cast of session musicians and in 1974, retired from live performances to become a studio-only band. Rolling Stone has called them the perfect musical anti-heroes for the 70s. Well, so aren't they cool? This uh, opening two or three sentences from Wikipedia has already ha- has you uh, upset. What was it? The You didn't like the Latin music? You didn't think they'd do that? Yeah, you know, Ricky Martin, Mark Anthony, uh, Steely Dan, Menudo. What about uh, Ricky, don't lose that number? It has no hey, Latin... don't lose that number, Ricky, because we're going to have to call it you when I have a lawsuit against you, because that is completely taken from Horace Silver, song from my father. So, Ricky, don't lose that number, because we're going to call you. Okay, let me just say this. I mean, just say this. Their only Latin influences are taken from other bands. It doesn't say influences. It says that they blend rock, jazz, Latin music, reggae, traditional pop. It's not saying that they were influenced by those. It's saying that they use those and blend them. Yeah, well, you know what? That's that's, uh, inappropriate. Why is that inappropriate? Because that's not the emphasis is not on Latin music. It's rock and jazz are the first two. So you're saying Latin yeah, you music. You know what the third one should be? Yes. What Folk. is Folk. Oh, okay. You know what the fourth one should be? No. Blues. I see. You know what the fifth one should be? No. And end of Wikipedia. Okay. So you're saying that uh, Latin music, reggae, traditional pop. Reggae. Point to one reggae tune that they played. Uh, okay, I can point to it. Okay. <laughs> well, all right. So you, they well, That's have, not real oh, reggae. Right. Mm-hmm. That's like saying, you know, the Stones play reggae. I see. I see. Like, David Lee Roth has one reggae song. He, he doesn't play reggae. I he don't just know has, what he does. He's he not, a, it's not reggae. No Big Ting or something? Yeah, it might be reggae. He might dabble in the reggae, but he, if David Lee Roth does it because he's intentionally playing a reggae Yeah, song. no, it was an homage, I think, and a, a little tongue-in-cheek 
But, Look, uh, uh, reggae. Well, they must be talking about uh, uh, Haitian divorce, is it maybe? So that seems like that has a bit of a Haitian, I mean, a Haitian divorce type of thing. Yeah. That seems like that has a bit of a reggae thing. Yeah. I don't know the difference between reggae and ska. Me, take it ish. But it sounds like one of those two All things. All right, here's the simple version. Uh-huh. Reggae is half the tempo of ska. Oh, okay. That's just very simple. Okay. So that was That's reggae. about as simple as saying samba is twice the speed of bassa. Oh. But that's not really what's going to help you. All right. Well, so... That is what uh, Wiki says about Steely Dan. Um, what do you know about their early years, Dave? Well, let me tell you something. Uh-huh. First album probably was recorded what, 71 maybe? Yes, probably. It came out in 72, so. Now. Prior to that? I believe they graduated from Bard College maybe 69, 68. So that's pretty pretty rapid that's pretty rapid progression there for them and before that they were sidemen in Jay and the Americans Uh uh-huh they played with Jay and the Americans cut on me Jay and the Americans lived in my house before we lived there in Englewood yeah oh shit they lived in the pink castle I see before it burned down uh-huh. That's a whole nother podcast. Uh-huh. Which will never happen. Uh-huh. But um now they would sometimes throw in some they did some shenanigans with Jay and Americans, like maybe tuning their instruments wrong or something, playing wrong chords. They were mischievous. Anyway, uh and then they also were hawking their music around the Brill Building. Mm. Now, the Brill Building was where all the songwriters were uh, back when jingles were being written and stuff. So they were trying to get their music uh, recorded by other artists. That's probably why they had a different lead singer on the first album because they weren't comfortable as a band or lead musicians. They didn't want to, they didn't, I don't think they truly wanted to be in the spotlight like that. And I think Fagan was a reluctant front man and that's all part of why they were shopping their music. And then when they finally got the deal for themselves, they had a different lead singer. And anyway, so that music from the Brill Building is, uh, you can hear the demos and it definitely sounds like early Steely Dan, but it has much more of a folk influence, uh, less of a jazz influence.
So Steely Dan is really what they are is they're these guys coming out of growing up in the 50s, going to high, going to college in the 60s. They were influenced by the beat generation. They're influenced by the beats, that poetry, and the jazz music that goes along with it. So that's the root of what they're at. And then they're also influenced by the civil rights movement with uh, Dylan and all that stuff and the consciousness. So their shit is part Dylan, part beat movement, which includes Jack Kerouac and that kind of stuff and jazz like Dizzy Gillespie and Charlie Parker. That's the roots of Steely Dan. Jazz, poetry, and folk music. Sorry, Latin music is not prominently part of that. Take note, Wikipedia. You know, yeah, Latin music is part of jazz as it fused together. But to, to say that as, their, as one of their things, why are, you, why are you trying to retell history? That's like saying, I don't understand what it's saying. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. Well, they, I think they're trying to reduce the white man's role in society. Oh, shit. Well, maybe that is what Wikipedia is doing. Wikipedia? More like shitopedia. Oh, fuck, son. So, all right. Uh, you have... Uh, yes, con- consolidate all that in a couple of statements. Yes. And you have something. <laughs> now, the band Leather Canary, featuring Chevy Chase on drums. Yes. Was uh, Steely Dan's college band. Yes, one of their college bands. Now, you can attribute what they were doing in college by listening to the lyrics to My Old School. Mm. I think he was smoking with the boys upstairs. Well, this is... uh, When he heard about the whole affair. Terrence Boylan, another bard musician, remembered that Fagin took readily to the beatnik life while attending college. They never never came out of their room. I got to tell you something. I never came out of my room, but I never read this. So what I'm saying, if it coincides, I didn't read this beforehand. Go ahead. Terrence Boylan, another bard musician, remembered that Fagin took readily to the beatnik life while attending college. They never came out of their room. They stayed up all night. They looked like ghosts, black turtlenecks, and skin so white that it looked like yogurt. Absolutely no activity. Chain-smoking Lucky Stripes and dope. Fagin himself would later remember, it is probably the only time in my life that I actually had friends. 
So uh, I love chain smoking dope. Chain no chain smoking lucky strikes and dope. Maybe every other one was a lucky strike and a joint. That seems like a seems like business as usual. I'm surprised he's still alive. California. So, uh, yeah, he, they, uh, according to Wikipedia, which you think uh, is completely wrong about all of this. Well, Wikipedia is not, uh, not correct. I mean, what I'm saying is that guy isn't cor- is correct. He was there. Yes. Do you know who that is? Terrence Boylan? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, let's see. It says, after Fagan graduated in 69, the hey. two... 69, what'd I tell you? You did say that. Yes. The two moved to Brooklyn and tried to peddle their tunes in... The Brill Building. Holy cow. Brooklyn owes the charmer in me. Uh-huh. Uh, in Midtown Manhattan, Kenny Vance. Hey, Ken, and let me tell you something about Kenny Vance. Okay. Now, that guy, he's, uh does like 50s review stuff. He's like a 50s cat. I see. He's also a producer. I think he might have played drums. Maybe, oh, you know what else Kenny Vance is? Uh, Kenny Vance is on the uh, Warrior soundtrack. Oh, is he? Yeah. As? Uh, as, as he's playing music. Oh, I see. Yeah. Uh, Kenny Vance of Jay and the Americans, Hello. who had a production office in the building, took an interest in their music, which led to work on the soundtrack of the low budget Richard Pryor film, You've Got to Walk It Like You Talk It or You'll Lose That Beat. You gotta walk it just like you talk it or be sure you're gonna lose that beat. Join the race, you gotta change your face. The whole thing seems so sick. You gotta walk. Now that sounds like some jive shit. Becker later said bluntly, We did it for the money. Hey now. A series of demos from 68 to 71 are available in multiple different releases, not authorized by Becker and Fagan. This collection features approximately 25 tracks and is notable for its sparse arrangements. Uh, and lo-fi production, a contrast with Steely Dan's later work, although some of these songs, Caves of Altamira, Brooklyn, Berrytown, were recorded for Steely Dan albums. Most were never officially released. So this is what the folky stuff you were talking about? Yes. It's cool. It's cool. 
it's not anything like it became. This is the thing. The musicianship behind, uh, behind them is nowhere near what it became. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's mainly the thing. I mean, there's Fagan is Fagan even at like, what, 20, but it's not as produced. There's nothing happening. It's not like that. I see. Is there a standout song? Is there a song called More to Come? I guess uh, that's what they mean by sp- the sparse backgrounds. Uh, well, there's no drums on that. I don't even know if there's any bass. I, I think, think there's it, someone clapping. It, <laughs> I think it might be I... just Becker uh, clapping and singing and uh, Fagan singing and playing piano. Uh, you know what, there's though? There's some guitar in there. I couldn't tell. I didn't hear. I don't. I just heard the piano, but I, I, I don't dislike it. It's just uh, Becker. Oh, he's, oh, that's the other thing. Becker's vocals are are more prominent on those uh, demos, too. Well, uh, I, f- I feel like Fagin, a 20-year-old, Va- Fagin does sound exactly like every era of Fagin. Yep. It's kind of interesting to hear. So you take that, and then... So basically, the first album has Do It Again? Does it have Do It Again? Is that the hit off of that album? Uh, there are, let's see, uh, the first album, oh. Can't Buy a Thrill. Okay, sorry. The first album, Can't Buy a Thrill, has Do It Again, Dirty Work, uh, Dirty Work, Kings, Midnight Cruiser, Only a Fool Would Say That, Reeling in the Years, Fire in the Hole, Brooklyn Owes the Charmer Under Me, Change of the Guard, and turn that heartbeat over again. All right. Now, that album is fucking excellent. Yeah. I think it's an excellent album. It has four radio hits. That's what I'm seeing here. And the other songs, except Brooklyn Owes the Charmer Under Me and Midnight Cruiser's kind of corny. Isn't that a hit, though? Yeah, it is. Maybe is that... Wait. How many are there? Do It Again, Dirty Work. Kings, Midnight Cruiser, Only a Fool Would Say That. All right, so on that side, those those three are our hits. Right. Do It Again, Dirty Work, and Midnight Cruiser? Yeah. Uh-huh. And that Midnight Cruiser is the other lead singer. It is. Tell me where are you driving, Midnight Cruiser? Where is your bounty of fortune and What's on the other side? That seems to be the only one with the other lead singer. Uh, the other side is Reeling in the Years, which is uh, probably still one of their biggest hits, if not their biggest hit. Yeah. Is that true? Yes. Yeah, that album's pretty cool. It's got a lot of interesting stuff on it. 
it's definitely a fusion. Uh, well, very rapidly they get away from folk. They're rapidly progressing away from folk music. They okay. do hit it a little bit here and there throughout their career, but you can hear that it's getting more jazz rock. Rock jazz, really. That, I mean, it makes sense. The era of folk and folk rock, other than, I would say, uh, Bob Dylan, it was is, is very a short period of time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean... There's like a folk pop. Is this was kind of where I put uh, Mamas and the Papas, right? I guess so. Yeah. Folk pop, but that didn't uh, that didn't come out of anywhere but the '60s. I can't. Can you think of anything other than Dylan? Well, Crosby, Stills, and Nash are, okay. are almost folky. There you go. All and right. uh, so is uh, J- Joni Mitchell, who's like folk jazz folk. But how how late were their their hits though? Their biggest hits. Yeah, they all come out of the 60s. Yeah. Uh, yeah, folk music had its window. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. Um, uh, folk music really peaked in the 50s. Oh, you think so? I do, with uh, Woody Guthrie and Pete Seeger. By okay. the time it became Dylan, it was already passe and, and hip. Folk music was real up until about 1960. Okay. And then it got watered down by the civil rights movement. Oh, no, just shit. Kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Okay, so uh, so Steely Dan, uh, Can't Buy a Thrill, debut album, four, I would say, major hits, right? Yes, and quite a uh, Zappa-esque cover, uh, album cover. Yeah, it's a weird uh, album cover. Um, you think it's Zappa-esque? Uh, well, if I could compare it to anyone else's album covers, yes, I would say that. Okay. But psychedelic in, in any respect. The album cover features a photo montage by Robert Lockhart. It includes an image of a line of prostitutes standing in a red light area from Rowan, Normandy, France, waiting for clients, chosen because of its relevance to the album title. The title of the album is taken in reference to the opening line of the Bob Dylan song, It Takes a Lot to Laugh, It Takes a Train to Cry. Walter Becker and Donald Fagan themselves commented on the album art in their liner notes to the reissued Royal Scam, saying that the album possessed the most hideous album cover of the 70s, bar none, excepting perhaps Can't Buy a Thrill. I see. So they're saying the Royal Scam was a terrible album cover, oh. but Can't Buy a Thrill was even worse. The- yeah, I never quite understood Royal Scam album cover, but it was interesting. I, yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> I, I've always wondered about the whole, like there's a piece of the shoe where there's like a little circle on the bottom. Something I kind of, I don't know. That's what I remember about it. I uh, this is This is weird pop art shit. The only thing I do love is that Steely Dan name logo. I think that's awesome. That I do love. The album cover I, I don't like at all. Um, so uh, album peaked at number 17 on the Billboard Top Pop albums. There's a ridiculous rumor that uh, Phil Hartman designed the album cover for Asia. It's not true. Next up is... Ba-ba-da-ba. Countdown 
to ecstasy. What are your thoughts on Countdown to Ecstasy, or do you want me to tell you what Wikipedia's thoughts are? Uh, my thoughts. Well, uh-huh. I would say that Countdown to Ecstasy yes. is getting a little bit more like real Steely Dan. Oh, okay. Mm, well, the first album uh, is a little more dated. But Countdown to Ecstasy starts getting a little less time, a little more timeless. Really? Yeah, but what, what, is, what do they say about it? Uh, Countdown to Ecstasy is the second studio album by the American rock band Steely Dan, released in 1973 by ABC Records. It was recorded at Caribou Ranch in Nederland, Colorado, at the Village Recorder in West Los Angeles, California. That's where they recorded Rocky Mountain Way, and that's where Terry Kath set up shop they recorded a bunch of chicago stuff there okay grady after the departure of vocalist david palmer the group recorded the album with donald fagan singing lead on all the songs yes although it was a critical success the album failed to generate a hit single well let me hear what's on that album and consequently charted only at number 35 on the billboard 200 it was eventually certified gold by the Recording Industry Association of America. Uh, well received upon its release, Countdown to Ecstasy received perfect scores from music critics in retrospective reviews. The See, track listing. The more they get into jazz and rock and that kind of stuff, the less hits they're going to have. Okay. Uh, Bodhisattva. That wasn't a hit. I hear it on the radio all the time. I hear it on the, on the radio all the time, too. Um I I, decl- I believe that was a hit. I I don't know that it's a hit. Doesn't I believe, chart. I believe it was a hit. Okay. Yeah, we heard it enough on the radio that people requested. Razor Boy. That was not a hit. The Boston Rag. That's a great one, but it's not a hit. Your Gold Teeth. Well, actually, precursor to Your Gold Teeth too. What? Uh, uh, Katie Light's got Your Gold Teeth too. I can't understand what you're saying. Katie Light. Has your gold teeth too? Oh, it's on two albums. No, but this is the first one. Then oh, the your one. gold teeth, all a uh, number two. Exactly. Okay, you know what? I don't like you. <laughs> on the second side is Showbiz Kids. Okay, now that also was on the radio constantly. How does it go? Lost Vegas, lost wages. You go to Las Vegas, I lost wages. Nice 
don't know. I guess maybe showbiz kids. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Number six is you I, know it. Okay. Number six, I think, is a fucking hit. I think this is a, a what, hit. Which one is that? My old school. It's not a hit. They're out of their fucking minds. Wikipedia. Boo. Uh, number seven, Pearl of the Quarter. That's a better press, dude. All right. And number eight, King of the World. That's a better press, too. Okay. No, it's not. <laughs> Are they all about prostitutes? Yeah, they're all about drugs and prostitutes. I see. Well, uh, so I think there's hits on that. I don't know if they are... Uh, or maybe at the time they weren't a hit? Right. Okay, well, I don't go by that. In Wikipedia, you're giving us a false illusion. Rolling Stone gave this five stars. Uh, the Rolling Stone Album Guide gave this one five stars. Uh, let's see. All Music gives it five stars. This album is the introduction of Jeff Picaro, if I'm not mistaken. The introduction of Jeff Picaro, if you're not mistaken, into the world or into Steely Dan. See, this is what happened. I don't see him here. Who's the drummer? Jim Hodder. On the whole album. I'm going to look. It says here the Steely Dan is Donald Fagan, Walter Becker, Denny Diaz, uh, Jeff Skunk Baxter. Jim Hodder. What happened was they recorded this music. Okay. And then mm-hmm. they said, you know what? We got rid of that vocalist. Mm. Now we need to get rid of the drummer. And we need to start hiring other musicians. And then what happened was, you can see that, are you telling me that Denny Diaz is not on this album? I told you Denny Diaz is on this yeah. album. Okay. And Jeff Skunk Baxter too, right? Yes. Yeah. All right. Now, what Do you I'm listen saying, to me? Yeah, can no, you I just got, forgot for a second. Okay. Uh... Uh, where are we at here? Well, here, and right here, look at here. It says, My Old School Oh, ha- hit number 63 on the Hot 100, and Showbiz Kids hit number 61. Yeah, they don't know what to talk about. So I guess it's got it's got to be top 40 for them to think of it a bona fide hit, maybe? I don't That's know. That's absurd. This, this is in the pantheon of rock and roll music. Okay. This is what people dug, man. Mm-hmm. This is why Steely Dan was a cold, had cold following. It wasn't with no hits. I know. That's weird. That's a weird thing like, for Wikipedia to say. It's not like his John Coltrane album. All right. Anyway, uh, so they, they, they recorded this album, and then they went on tour. <clears throat> and then I think after that tour, they said, you know what? We're never going on tour again. Because they were opening for bands that were like pop rock bands, and then they were trying to play like art jazz shit, and they weren't into it. They couldn't hang with the clothes. They couldn't hang with the glam. They weren't about the touring. So, but what happened was, they had to hire a second drummer uh, for the tour to get it done. I don't know what ha- what happened, but oh. they had uh, Jeff Picaro join them on drums on the tour, and you can hear there's a live version with uh, two drummers on it. I believe it's Jeff Picaro and Jim Hodder, but maybe Jeff Picaro and uh, Jim Keltner, but I think it's I think it's the original drummer, and they have a funny uh, guy doing MC, and it's one of the rare uh, one of the rare recordings of Steely Dan live. Actually, that was like what we heard as kids. The best thing ever happened to Santa Monica is gonna be here tonight. Yeah, and you can also all you little old beardy, pretty 
little pretty one. Huh. If he ain't here tonight, huh, you can tell him forget it too, you know, because Mr. Whatever is here tonight. He gonna get down tonight, brother. He gonna get with it. He gonna give you something that Santa Monica that never had. If it good to you, it gotta be good for you. Right on. Yeah. And one thing I can tell you, brother, he is here tonight. Mr. Magnificent one is here. The beautiful one is here. <laughs> <laughs> you little old pretty one, she here too. You know, whatever. Here is the magnificent one, the one and the only one, Mr. Stilly Danny, whatever. <laughs> I mean, it sounds to me like he doesn't even know the name of the band. In some of the YouTube comments, uh, it says some people, sometimes he would say Stevie, Stevie Dan, (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Stevie Dan. So uh, apparently, uh, apparently he was uh, quite inebriated a lot of the time, according to uh, YouTube comments. That is great. But. Even with that, I gotta say, when they come in with the music, it sounds amazing to me. Yeah, that's Jeff Percaro there. That's why they got him because he had some energy. That was. Uh... See, that was the thing. Their original drummer couldn't was not gonna he was not gonna be their drummer for their career. They couldn't record what they did with that guy. But he did sing one of their hits, though. The drummer did. Yeah. Yeah. Which one is that? Midnight Cruiser. So isn't that strange? And that's not David Palmer. It's actually the. The, the drummer, drummer uh-huh. who I think died in a surfing accident. Or oh, something. that's sad then. But uh, yeah, he uh, he was replaced by Percaro and also Jim Gordon. Uh oh. Jim Gordon is the only drummer with the exception of Parker's band on the next album. Parker's band is on that demo also, but Parker's band is. Two drummers, Percaro and Jim Gordon. So let me just say this. The personnel for the next album, which is Pretzel Logic. Yeah, now now you're getting into something. Hold on, please. Pretzel Logic is really... Can you really please hold for one yeah. moment? The personnel is Donald Fagan, Walter Becker, Jeff Baxter, Denny Diaz, and Jim Hodder. No. No, that's incorrect. <laughs> Additional musicians are Michael Omartian or Omartian? Omartin. Omartian? Yeah, he, I believe he's also on. Uh, is he the cat on uh, I Wish? Maybe. Uh, I don't know. David Pike? Page? Yeah, he's from Toto. Ben Benet? He's from that earlier stuff. He's Dean on the, Parks? Oh, Dean Parks. Okay. He's a, he, he wrote the guitar part for. Uh, 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 Clapton, what's that? I don't know. Uh, what is it? Dean Parks, <laughs> uh, Plaz Johnson, Jerome Richardson. Plaz Johnson? 
Yeah. That's not a real person. Saxophone, Jerome Richardson, saxophone, Ernie Watts, saxophone, Ollie Mitchell, trumpet. Yeah. Lou McCreary, Timothy B. Schmidt. Well, you know who that is. Isn't he from Eagles? He is. Uh, Wilton Felder, Chuck Rainey, Jim Gordon. Okay, now here's the thing. Drums on all tracks except Night by Night. Yeah, and you know who's on drums on Night by Night? Jeff Picaro. And you know who's not playing on the whole album? Jim Hodder. Thank you. Jim Hodder is, uh, they put him as the personnel member of Steely Dan. He's the, but Joey, he's the Joey Kramer of the band at this he, point. Oh, stop. That's terrible what they're doing to him. Uh, backing vocals on Parker's band. Uh, Victor Feldman, percussion, and Roger Nichols. I held the ashtray on Parker's band. Roger Nichols on Gong on East St. Louis. Roger Nichols is on Gong. Uh Roger Nichols is the producer on all their great stuff. Okay. Well, he's also uh, East St. Louis Toodaloo. Mm -hmm. Now that is a uh, that is a Duke Ellington cover. Okay. And Duke Ellington died just before the album was released, so he never heard it. Logic is the third studio album by the American rock band Steely Dan, released on February 20th, 1974 by ABC Records. It was written by principal band members Walter Becker and Donald Fagan and recorded at the Village Recorder in West Los Angeles with producer Gary Katz. Now, this is the thing. Hold on. Oh, geez. It was the final album to feature the full five-member band of Becker, Fagan, Denny Diaz, Jeff Baxter, and Jim Hodder. That's a lie. <laughs> also featured significant contributions from many prominent Los Angeles-based studio musicians. Yeah, it's the first album where they incorporated their uh, formula that became Steely Dan for the rest of the career. Where it just it was just where it's Fagan, Becker, and then tons of other people. Yeah, is uh, that what you're referring to? Yes, that's true. And I think this is the last album that has. It's got to be the last album that has Jeff Skunk Baxter because he joined the Doobie Brothers at this time. Ah, okay. And Denny Diaz, I think they just didn't use him at this point after that. So So this is when they introduced, like I said, Jim Gordon. So they have a professional studio drummer Mm -hmm. uh, nailing the tracks, no pun intended. And then uh, they have Jeff Percaro also... 
night by night is like that sounds like that's classic night by night is a classic uh steely dan song it almost reminds me of uh rock and roll stew by traffic off the the track listing here um the i mean the first one is a huge hit ricky don't lose that number night by night any major dude will tell you Barrytown, east st louis toodle ooh uh side two was parker's band through with buzz pretzel logic with a gun charlie freak and monkey in your soul yeah this album is fucking amazing is it yeah the only thing that i would leave off is uh East St. Louis Tootaloo. It's fine, but it's filler, for, in my opinion. Well, maybe but it's just an homage. Rest, yeah, it's cool. But the rest of it is amazing, classic Steely Dan. And this is the, this is the stuff that... This is the stuff that puts you on the path to be completely against what was happening in the 80s. This is, this, this is the kind of music you listen to to then grow up to hate Duran Duran. I see. I see what you're saying. Because this is so sophisticated, complex. Yeah, the, the, their music, starting with, I would say, Pretzel Logic, they're on a whole, they're, they're on a whole other level. It's just a whole other level. Right. Even, even beyond whatever the popular songs are. Yeah, you're starting to get into uh, classic Steely Dan. I mean, I would even say then, if you just like the Steely Dan uh, hits... You might be missing out on some good shit, right? I Maybe you're not quite grasping Steely Dan? Definitely. I got gotcha. you. Uh, Ricky, Don't Lose That Number went to number one. The first two albums are great, but right. Pretzel Logic, Royal Scam, I'm sorry, Pretzel Logic, Katie Lied, Royal Scam uh-huh. are, in my opinion, the best Steely Dan albums ever. Really? Better than Asia? For me, yes. Okay. Why is that? Because it's more rocking and more like raw, and Asia starts to get too polished for me. Oh, I see. It's cool, but it's just a little more polished, and it's it's interesting. It's, I don't know. The, uh, the songs on Katie Lied are just fucking amazing songs.
So, okay, so from Pretzel Logic in 1974, their next album, Katie Lied in 1975, their fourth studio album release, uh, also on ABC, went gold and peaked at number 13 on the charts. Um, I don't think there's anything like that stuff. There's not, There's nothing like that. This On this particular record? Yeah, I mean, all of it, but this one, something about Katie Lied is like, I don't know, I mean... Fagan and Becker might have not liked it, perhaps. I heard mm-hmm. them say something about they didn't like anything until Royal Scam or something. They didn't know how to make albums until Royal Scam, perhaps, they said. But I think uh, Katie Lied is really good. Uh, the tracks on this are Black Friday, Bad Sneakers, Rose Darling, Daddy Don't Live in That New York City No More, Dr. Wu, Everyone's Gone to the Movies, Your Gold Teeth 2, Chain Lightning, Any World That I'm Welcome To, and Throwback The Little Ones. Uh, Katie Lied was called Anonymous, Absolutely Impeccable Swing Pop by Rolling Stone's Cameron Crowe, who observed no cheap displays of human emotion. Bad Sneakers is, you know, pretty fucking masterful. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And mine and one more chip who isn't here I can see the ladies talking How the times are getting hard And that fearsome excavation On Magnolia Boulevard Yes, I'm going insane And I'm laughing at the frozen rain Well, I'm so alone Honey, when they go So tell me what it is about these. You're you're putting these three records. Um, was it uh, Pretzel Logic, Katie Lied, and the Royal Scam they're together? Just, at, they're just jazzy enough and funky enough uh-huh. and rocky enough that the combination is perfect. Okay. Like Fagan's later stuff, it gets it gets a little cheesy. There's some cheese going on there that just doesn't exist on this earlier stuff. Like it's are almost you like, like Nightfly stuff. Yeah, well, yeah. It, I, I mean, Nightfly is one of my favorite albums. It's great, but. After Nightfly, I would say starting with Kamakiriad, uh-huh. which is 10 years after Nightfly. Okay. So in the 90s. But it's a little bit there on Glamour Profession, and it's even there a little bit on Asia. And I guess it's there on Katie Lied, but it's kind of not really. So on... Uh, this is the thing. Yeah. Like, Fagan has a Broadway side to him almost. It sounds almost like he could be writing songs for a Broadway play. Or for a play. So as long as that's kept in check, it's not too cheesy. But when it's not kept in check, it gets overly like Broadway and not like rock enough. I see. Little sticks-ish? A little like Pete Townsend after he's like 60. I see. Okay. It's like melancholy, like too smart for your own good sort of thing. I see. A little smug? A little show-off-y? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Something with a dress? Uh... 
this uh, all music gives this one a five. Um, Rolling Stone album guide gives it a four and a half. So uh, let's see. Reviewing for the Village Voice in 1975, Robert Christgau, Christgau said Katie lied may be Steely Band, Steely Dan's biggest album but he found it slightly disappointing on a musical level, citing the loss of lead guitarist Skunk Baxter and what he perceived as cool, cerebral, one-dimensional jazz guitar influences. Well, see, yeah, that becomes more of a problem as time goes on. So that is, that is true. Okay. But uh, I don't agree because you're getting into Larry Carlton now. I see. And he's not just one-dimensional. He's a genius. Right. So now the personnel is officially just Donald Fagan and Walter Becker, and then there's all of these additional uh, musicians. Jeff Beccaro is the only drummer on that whole album, I'm pretty sure. Dr- Jeff Beccaro is drums on all songs except Any World That I'm Welcome To. Any World That I'm Welcome To. Who's playing drums on that? Jim Gordon? Hal Blaine plays drums Whoa. on Any World That I'm Welcome To. Whoa. That's big. Jim Gordon got all his gigs from Hal Blaine, and then he gets one back. <laughs> Hal Blaine, that's a, that's, a, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Um, so I'm, I'm looking here, and there looks it, it looks to be there are one, two, three, four, five, six guitarists on this one. Uh Hugh McCracken, Denny Diaz, Rick Derringer, Dean Parks, Elliot Randall, and Larry Carlton. Elliot Randall plays the guitar solo on uh, Reeling in the Years. Okay. And on this one, he plays a guitar solo on Throwback the Little Ones. Mm, Walter Becker plays some really good guitar on this album. Right. Okay. Yes. Also, he is, the I guess, the seventh gu- guitar player. That's some of his best. Some of the best guitar solos are Walter Becker on this album. He plays. That's miraculously enough. He plays guitar solo on Black Friday and Bad Sneakers. The guitar solo on Bad Sneakers is off the motherfucking hook. basically had a almost a different guitarist for every song and this is in los angeles which is interesting they uh being from the east coast do you think that they would have made albums on the east coast but they didn't until uh gaucho i think this album marks the first appearance of singer michael mcdonald on a steely uh, uh on a steely dan album jeff picaro then only 20 years old played drums on all the songs except any world um it also marks the first appearance of Larry Carlton, who played guitar on Daddy Don't Live in That New York City No More. Yeah. Band leaders Becker and Fagan were unhappy with the album's sound quality because of an equipment malfunction with the then-new DBX noise reduction system. You can't record heavy metal in Dublin. The group has claimed that the damage was mostly repaired after consulting with the engineers at DBX, but Fagan and Becker still refused to listen to the completed album. 
these guys are, uh, it's, it's, it's quite something. Here you are saying it's great, right? One of the best. Well, it's great, but who knows how they wanted it to sound. Well, moving on to the next record. Do you know the next record? Royal Scope. The Royal Scam, the fifth studio album, originally released by ABC Records in 1976. The album went gold and peaked at number 15 on the charts. Why do I think there's something something called Dunhill involved with this? The Royal Scam features more prominent guitar work than the prior Steely Dan album, Katie Lied, which had been the first without founding guitarist Jeff Baxter. Extra. Guitarists on the recording include Walter Becker, Denny Diaz, Larry Carlton, Elliot Randall, and Dean Parks. So they're all pretty much the same people from the last one, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, In common with other Steely Dan albums, the Royal Scam is littered with cryptic allusions to people and events, both real and fictional. Yeah, Royal Scam really gets into it. Gets into what do you? Kid uh, Charlemagne. It says here Becker and Fagan revealed that Kid Charlemagne is loosely based on. Do you know who it is? Uh, Owsley. Augustus Owsley Stanley, the notorious drug chef. Every apron had your number on the wall. Who was famous for manufacturing hallucinogenic compounds, and that Caves of Altamira, based on a book by Hans Baumann or Bowman, is about the loss of innocence, the narrative about a visitor to the cave of Altamira who registers his astonishment at the prehistoric drawings. Is that in California? Altamira? Uh, Or is that Altadena? It's in Spain. Pasadena. It's in... Pasamira. Spain. Altamira. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, so, uh, do you want to hear the, the track listing, or do you know the track listing? Uh, well, uh, well, let's see now. You got, uh, okay. you got the Fez. Okay, these are the way they are they in order. They're going to do without the Fez home. One is Kid Charlemagne. Two, The Caves of Altamira. Three, Don't Take Me Alive. Sign in Stranger. Four, Sign in Stranger. Five, The Fez. Six, Green Earrings. Seven, Haitian Divorce. 
Uh, that's the uh, green earrings. Yes. Green earrings is, is and kills Charlemagne uh, uh, to this day. Steely Dan classics. Uh, number eight, everything you do. Oh, I'm sorry, everything you did. And number nine, the royal scam. Now let me tell you something. Mm. This album features Bernard Purdy, Pretty Purdy, on oh. every track, and it's got Chuck Rainey on every track, who's the bass player. And if they're telling you otherwise, they might be telling you the truth. But I think they're lying. <laughs> uh, let's see, we got. Uh... Let's see, uh, Denny Diaz guitar, Larry Carlton guitar, Dean Parks guitar, Elliot Randall guitar, uh, Chuck Rainey on bass, yep, and uh, Rick Morata on drums. Oh, Rick Morata's on, uh, uh, let's see, he would have to be on uh, Everything You Did. And Don't Take Me Alive. Don't Take Me Alive, that's what I meant. And... No, both wait, of those. Wait a second. Don't take me alive. Isn't it Bernard Purdy's on all this stuff otherwise? Yes. Okay, so he's on two tracks and Bernard Purdy's on the rest? And Bernard Purdy is on the other seven. Yes. This is the thing. Okay. Now, here's a little Tell me the things, you. okay? Yeah. Jeff Beccaro uh-huh. was pretty much the only drummer on the album before this, recorded just months before this. Except for Hal Blaine, yes. Now, Walter Becker uh-huh. calls up Jeff Beccaro. Uh-huh. It says, hey, uh, we want to set your drum set up in the studio. We're going to be recording our next album soon. And Jeff's like, oh, great. Excellent. Okay. So he gets the drum set to them. It's all set up in the studio. And then he never hears back from them. <laughs> because they wanted to record his drum set, but they wanted Bernard to play it. Because they liked the way his kid sounded, but they wanted Bernard Purdy on drums. Well, so that's what they did. There you go. So if someone asks you for a drum set, don't assume you're going to be playing it. Yeah. That's dickish, I would say. But On the earlier album, uh-huh. Jeff Beccaro was so inexperienced that he kept telling Fagan, you really should hire someone else for this. I'm not really the guy for this. Well, there you and go. And they kept saying, no, man, you got it. And then his wish was his command. There you go. Uh we got uh, Timothy B. Schmidt again, and Michael McDonald, and a lot of other uh, familiar background vocalists. So uh, I will say this: Rolling Stone gave this one a five star. Yeah, Rolling Stone's addicted to lead guitar. But All Music only gave it a three and a half Did out they of five. Even exist then? That wasn't even a thing back then. Well, it's the day. it's it's definitely a retroactive type of thing. All Music, they what? They're pretending that they matter. Mm. What is that? When did they come around? Two thousand and three. I don't know, actually. Fuck them. Yeah. All music guide. Go fuck yourself. The album was not as highly rated upon its release as its predecessors, with most reviewers finding that it did not show any musical progress. In contrast, the original Rolling Stone review was more positive, and ultimately the magazine gave it five stars in a later Hall of Fame review. Critics, man. The only critic I like is John Lovitz. I see. John, what? Oh, I gotcha. The cartoon? The critic. Very nice. All right, so moving on from the royal scam. And all this, all this without a fucking single tour? They haven't toured since 1974? I will say... uh, I'm fucking real. Okay. We had done an episode not too long ago about our top five albums of all time. Jizz. This was my number one. Up on the hill, 
Asia is the sixth studio album by the jazz rock band Steely Dan. Rock jazz. <laughs> Originally released in 1977, the album peaked at number three on the U.S. charts and number five in the U.K. It was the band's first platinum album and ultimately became their best-selling studio release, eventually selling <laughs> over five million copies. That, kids, used to be a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, you know what? There Nowadays, are no a- albums anymore. Nowadays, you get that many views in two hours. Well, that's for one song, though. I don't know that albums sell very much. What these album? Days. What is that? Exactly. What's an album? Uh, Can I smoke it? The uh, Can I vape it? All right. The uh, song, the track listing is as followed. Yo, uh, I vaped your album, man. That shit is hot. Black Cow, Asia, Deacon Blues, Peg. Home at Last, I Got the News, and Josie. I think there are seven hits on this album out of seven songs. Is that all the songs? Yep. I don't think they're all hits. What do you think is not? No, Home at Last was not a hit. It's a, it's a, I Got the News is not a hit. I hear them all on the radio. I've really? heard them all on the radio. Oh, yes. Well, I, don't think, I don't think they were. Maybe not major hits. I would say... Peg, probably the biggest. Really? And then what else is on there? Josie? That's big, too. That's like FM. Josie and Peg. Yeah, what else? Black Cow. Oh, yeah, that's pretty big, too. That's huge. Yeah. Asia is a hit to me. Um, Asia was too long to be a hit. Oh, uh, Deacon Blues. So that's four, in my opinion. I feel like Deacon Blues is seven minutes and 33 seconds, though. So They played the shit out of that song. Yeah. At home at last, too. I think they're all hits. It's maybe, but again, maybe it's it's post-release See, hits. See, this album is way more in the pocket than uh, than the three before it. I have to be honest. This is literally my number one favorite album because it's it is a it is a pleasure to listen to. It is amazing. It's just it's retarded good. I can't get over how perfect it is. Yeah. Who's on drums on this one? Steve Gadd and Bernard Purdy? Thanks for yawning during my emotional... Sorry. Uh, 
pronouncement. Uh, let's see. We've got uh, drums. We've got Black Cow. Drums. Paul Humphrey. Asia. Drums. Steve Gadd. Deacon Blues. Drums. Bernard Purdy. Peg. Drums. Rick Morata. Home at Last. Drums. Bernard Purdy. I Got the News. Drums. Ed Green. Josie. Drums. Jim Keltner. All right. Literally, I think every song on this album is a hit. It says, uh, reviewing in 1977 for Rolling Stone, Michael Duffy said that the conceptual framework of Steely Dan's music has shifted from the pretext of rock and roll towards a smoother, awesomely clean, and calculated mutation of various rock, pop, and jazz idioms. That's pretty accurate. While their lyrics remain as pleasantly obtuse and cynical as ever, right? That's accurate. Duffy added that while the duo's extreme intellectual self-consciousness was beginning to show its limitations, the latter may be precisely the quality that makes Walter Becker and Donald Fagan the perfect musical anti-heroes for the 70s. That's pretty astute. Robert Christgau, Christgau, I don't know, of The Village Voice initially hated the record before he realized that unlike the royal scam, it was stretching me some, while noting that he was grateful to find Fagan and Becker's collegiate cynicism in decline. However, he believed the band's preference for longer, more sophisticated songs could, could turn into their fatal flaw. Oh, Christiga, you really do make a living off your words, don't you? That turd. Uh, let's see, All Music gives this one a four and a half. Encyclopedia of Popular Music gives it a five. I don't know who these people are. I don't either. Rolling, don't at them. Rolling Stone gives it a five. Um, I give it a, a five out of five. It's uh, uh oh. Wikipedia has made the, put the genre of this album as not only jazz rock, but yacht rock. That's not true. Yacht rock is fucking Christopher. Crisscross. Yeah. And. Uh, Yacht Rock is a thing that doesn't exist. Yacht Rock is almost like uh, putting something down. Yeah, who has a yacht and plays rock? What, did you see that in a movie? I think that's. I think Yacht Rock is something that they're just trying to put down, I guess, rich people, probably rich white people. Yacht Rock. Those words don't that's, go together. That's annoying. That's annoying to me. Yacht Rock. Why don't that's you like eat dad a dick jokes. Wikipedia? Yeah, well, that's kind of the king of that. No. Oh, sorry. So... Next, we have Gaucho. Now, I have learned uh, a bit about Gaucho in the past couple of weeks, I guess. And what year did Heavy Metal, the movie soundtrack, come out? Uh, let me see. What year did FM come out? 1978, I think we had FM. Heavy Metal it came out in 1981. Ooh, okay. And uh, FM was from the movie FM? I think so. FM was, was a great kind of little single for them.
FM, the movie came out in 1978. So, what is that? After Asia, they record FM? Let's see. It's really like as good a single as any of theirs. Uh, FM, No Static at All, is a song by American Jazz Rapa Uh The title theme for the 1978 film FM. It made the top 40 that year when released as a single. What album is that off of? It's not on an album. It's just on the soundtrack to FM. Are you serious? Yes. That's a big hit. That's what I'm saying. That's why it's worth mentioning. Oh, I'm sorry. You're 100% right. 1978. So they couldn't get an album done, but they managed to squeeze off a song that sounds... Okay, now here's what I think happened. Can I just tell you something? Well, wait a second. Yeah, but... According to uh, Wikipedia, in the chronology of uh, Steely Dan hits, this one comes in between Deacon, Blo- Deacon Blues and Josie. To me, it sounds like it was recorded in 77. Okay. Maybe 76. It sa- this is the thing. FM sounds more like Royal Scam than it does Asia. It says, at the time of its release, the band's album Asia was enjoying critical and commercial success, leading some listeners to incorrectly assume that FM was also on that album. I think it was recorded before. Well, was it recorded Maybe they had the song and they just added new lyrics for the movie? Or they just recorded this for the movie? It he, almost sounds like they had this in the, in the can and they just like got it for the movie or something. Uh, according to Donald Fagan, uh, he said in 2013 that the process of writing and recording the song was straightforward. He and Becker were in California finishing up Asia when the call came. There was a film called FM and we were asked to do the title song. They were told the only requirement was that the song had to be about FM radio. It took a day or two to write. Uh, the duo had not written music for a film since You've Got to Walk It Like You Talk It or You'll Lose That Beat in 1971, but they knew what producers wanted. We wrote a song that would sound good with a big production and an overdub of strings that would sound good coming out of movie theater speakers. Uh, it would be the band's first use of strings in a song since the short through with Buzz on 74's Pressel Logic and the second time in their career overall. Uh, when they went to the studio, they were able to record FM as quickly as they had written it. It was built up from a click track. Fagan played piano and Becker handled all the bass and guitar work, including the solo on the song's outro. It was built up from a what? Click track. Oh, okay. This was the only time on a Steely Dan song where the two performed most of the instrumental work. It was primarily recorded at Capitol Studios, with additional work being done at the Armin Steiner Sound Lab and the Village Recorder. Yeah, I think it's as good as anything they've ever done, honestly. It says they were accompanied by musicians who had played with the band on their Asia sessions, Jeff Picaro. Oh, there you go. Who had then also recently helped form Toto. That's why the drums, yeah, Picaro is so so good, it's absurd. Uh, Pete Christlieb? No, I don't know who that is. Uh, that sounds like a Jewish Christian. He was also featured on Deacon Blues, plays the tenor saxophone, Timothy B. Schmidt. Anytime you don't know who the, the guys are, they're a sax player. Timothy B. Schmidt, who had recently left Poco, was joined by his new bandmates in the Eagles, Glenn Fry and Don Henley, singing backup vocals. You know. Did you know that? I didn't know that. There you go. So, yeah. 
That's interesting. FM is as good as anything. And uh, actually, uh, I would say True Companion off of uh, Heavy Metal is almost as good as anything. It's just, it all kind of sounds like it's not a full song. Playing on it is great, and once again, I believe that's Precara on drums. It's, it's great drumming, great studio playing. It's but it's instrumental. There's no lyrics, or yeah, uh, there's some lyrics, but it's not very lyric oriented. And then, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Everything Fake does is excellent, really, except for uh, later in his career, gets a little iffy here and there. But everything up to Kamakuriat is is gold. So Asia came out in 77, and then they went into the studio to put together Gaucho. drastically wrong with gaucho well this is the thing they should have never fucked with the formula but what happens is they went back to new york uh-huh and being that becker was a heroin addict he can't function in new york like he can in, in la and he starts walking around and he gets hit by a car not to mention i don't understand he was with an underage girl how does that fall into the picture I always knew Becker was up to something fucked up. See, that's why Fagin's cool and Becker's a deviant. I think Fagin's probably a deviant too, but he's a controlled well, we're all deviant. Deviants, but he's a genius. Becker, though, I don't know what that guy's up to. So, uh, exceptional difficulties plagued the album's production. By 1978, Donald Fagan and Walter Becker had established themselves as the only two permanent members of Steely Dan, using a revolving cast of session musicians to record the songs they wrote together. However, the pair's working relationship began to strain, largely because of Becker's increasing drug use. During the course of the Gaucho sessions, Becker was hit by a car late one Saturday night, walking home to his apartment on the Upper West Side. Becker managed to push the woman he was with out of harm's way, but sustained multiple fractures in one leg, a sprain in the other, and other injuries. During his six-month recovery, he suffered from secondary infections. Ew. While he was in the hospital, he and Fagan continued their musical collaboration via telephone. His personal problems continued to mount when his girlfriend, Karen Roberta Stanley, died of a drug overdose at his home on January 30, 1980, 
Her family sued him for $17.5 million in 81, claiming he had introduced her to cocaine, morphine, barbiturates, and heroin. The court later ruled in his favor. But uh, the, the, the songs... So they, uh, they recorded an entire album, right? Yeah, how come Ari Shafir didn't put him down when he died? I don't like Ari Shafir. I don't like Ari Shafir before what he like said about Kobe Bryant. I don't like with a name that sounds like an Arab. Yeah, all right. Well, that's fine. Um, Are you or aren't you? Should be Ari Schaefer. What's going on? So, like you said, they went from California to New York City. And it, it says here that the transition to using New York City players during the gaucho sessions proved difficult because the musicians were unenthusiastic about Becker and Fagan's obsessive perfectionist recording style. Yeah, because the musicians in New York were used to the daily grind where they got paid to come in, do their bullshit, and leave. It's the same crap that Frank Zappa was talking about where the musicians are lazy. The New York musician, session musicians were lazy compared to the L.A. ones, huh? Yeah. And don't even get started with classical musicians. They, they're the laziest motherfuckers there are. Well, we're talking about Steely Dan. I'm saying if they had hired classical musicians, they would have flipped their lid. Uh, it says Fagan and Becker hired Mark Knopfler to play the guitar solo on Time Out of Mind after hearing him play on Dire Straits' hit single, Sultans of Swing. Yeah, they were like, ooh, that guy's good. Let's ruin his life. Several hours of Knopfler's playing were recorded at the session, but his contributions, as heard on the record, are limited to around 40 seconds. The album's mixing sessions proved to be just as difficult as... 40? I think it's more like 14. As the recording sessions, it took Becker, Fagan, Nichols, and Katz more than 55 attempts to complete a satisfactory mix of the 50-second fade-out of Babylon Sisters. Fagan, Nichols, and Katz. That sounds like a law firm. As far as the drums go, it says even though the session players hired for Gaucho were amongst the most talented from both the East and West Coast session fraternities, Fagan and Becker were still not satisfied with the basic tracks for some of the songs, particularly with regard to the timing of the drum tracks. In a 2006 interview for Sound on Sound magazine, Fagan stated that he and Becker told recording engineer Roger Nichols, it's too bad that we can't get a machine to play the beat we want with full frequency drum sounds and to be able to move the snare drum and kick drum around independently. Nichols replied, I can do that. This was back in 1978 or something, so we said, you can do that? To which he said, yes, all I need is $150,000. So we gave him the money out of our recording budget, and six weeks later he came in with this machine, and that is how it all started. I wonder what he did with all that money, because he didn't spend it on that. Nichols named the drum machine Wendell. Subsequently, where every bit of the money never did leave everybody. Uh, all right. Subsequently, Wendell was awarded a platinum record. So, uh, this is, was this the beginning of drum machines? Uh, no. Oh. But it's, 
it's one of the uses of drum machine for sure. Let me tell you what the beginning was. Okay. Well, no, not the beginning. But here's an interesting side fact. Okay. The drums on Staying Alive. Uh-huh. That is not a drummer. Oh, it isn't? That is a drum part taken from Jive Talking, looped. Oh, Okay. And they the drumming from they took a section of Jive Talking. Is Jive Talking a drummer? Yeah. Okay. They took a section of that drumming, looped it, and made it the rhythm track for Staying Alive. And back then that was not an easy feat. I think they had to physically loop the tape around a table back to a machine, two machines with like a twelve foot loop. Oh wow. It was like, you know, really primitive. It's not like today where you can just cut and paste. Right. But staying alive is perfect because it's not a real drummer. So, uh, duly noted, I will say that uh, there's there's this whole other gaucho out there that's not quite finished. Um, there's a song, uh, well, here, I'll just read it. Uh, the second arrangement, was in the title of the song, had been a favorite of producer Gary Katz and Nichols in late December 1979 after weeks of working on a particular recording of the track, approximately three-quarters of the song was accidentally erased by an assistant engineer who had been asked by Katz to ready the track for listening. The band attempted to re-record the track, but eventually abandoned the song entirely. Can you imagine... Yeah, that's a that's the that's the ultimate nightmare. So it's a folklore nightmare. We have a version of the track here. Um, it, it has no drums on it, but uh, this is the this is uh, a, an outtake of this song, not the one that they had perfected uh, by any means. But it's in, it is interesting to listen to. Dan biographer Brian Sweet has written that the group abandoned the song in favor of focusing on third world man. 
The second arrangement was never played live by Steely Dan until a rarities show on September 17, 2011, and a studio recording of the song remains unreleased. Yeah, yeah, that's one of those things. However, a handful of demo and outtake recordings of the song exist in bootleg form. Boys rig. Uh, in addition to the second arrangement, a number of songs were written for the album which were not included in the final release. Some of them were included on a bootleg titled The Lost Gaucho, which is where we uh, I just played that song for you, which features recordings from early in the sessions for the album. Songs uh, titles include Kind Spirit, Coolie Baba, The Bear, and Talking About My Home, as well as the second arrangement. An early version of Third World Man with alternate lyrics is included under the title Were You Blind That Day? I like the I like the lyrics to Were You Blind That Day. Yeah. More than Third World Man. I do. Um that recording dates from the Asia sessions. This I mean this this rec- recording this album was a shitty experience for them and pretty much Ended it all, right? I had to put a little block in the road, that's for sure. What? Put a little block in the road. Uh-huh. Yeah, block in the road, roadblock. It says the album was greeted with mostly positive reviews. Uh, Rolling Stone's Ariel Swartley said of the album, After years of hibernation in the studio, the metamorphosis has begun. With the royal scam is complete. Steely Dan have perfected the aesthetic of the tease. I like uh, time out of mind, glamour profession, and show me my rival. New York Times said it was the best album of 1980, beating out Talking Heads and Joy Division. Um, the, uh, the, the tracks are as followed. Babylon Sisters, that's a hit, right? Yeah. Hey 19. Yeah. Glamour profession. Yeah. Gaucho. Yeah. Time out of mind. Yeah. My rival. Yeah. And third world man. And uh, again, this is glamour profession. No, that's a good song. This this album had so much, so many problems. Hoops McCann. I'm sorry. Special delivery to Hoops McCann. What's that? What are you talking about? A glamour profession. Oh, uh, I guess I don't know that song. Szechuan dumplings. Now that the deal has been done, Ooh. I'm the one. I like dumplings. <laughs> so, uh... Do you like the cocaine? No, I do not. That song's about the cocaine. It's all about the cocaine. Uh, so, with all of the problems and the erasing of, the, the, of a song that they deem to be perfect in every way, um, the second arrangement... Uh, I think it was. I think it just sucked their life force right out. Yeah, that and the heroin. The heroin, the 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 car accident, the overdose. The, they were also, yeah, also involved in a legal battle. Yeah, that, that's really the thing is they never were intended to make this album. They just were forced to make it. It says during the two year span in which the album was recorded, the band was plagued by a number of creative, personal, and professional problems. MCA, Warner Brothers, and Steely Dan had a three-way legal battle over the rights to release the album. After it was released, jazz musician Keith Jarrett threatened the band with legal action for plagiarism in the title song. 
Yeah, they stole Gaucho from him. So did they admit that? Yes. Okay, so uh, because of all of this, Gaucho proved to be Steely Dan's final studio album before a 20-year hiatus from the rec- recording industry. So there you go. A hiatus. A hiatus. So I think we're going to end it here. Dave, wrap it up. Hey, what you got here is a band that was unlike any other band. You know, Mr. Whatever. Is that what he says when he's oh, introducing the band? Yeah. But, uh, you know, what can you say? There's, I feel like they're a one-of-a-kind band. And, uh, yeah, there could be something like this in the future, but not exactly. Because it's, uh, like I said, it really is a, uh, it's a uh, process that starts with the beat generation and jazz music and then goes to folk music and uh, through the psychedelic rock thing and boom, you got fucking steal it in. I feel like, I just wish they had stayed in California. That might have been the best. If they had stayed in California for Gaucho, they would they never take that time off, right? Yeah. They work with musicians who are used yeah. to working with them and who are who are willing to deal with their insanity. Becker might not have gotten in the car accident. He may have overdosed on heroin though, so you never know what would have happened if they stayed. Because LA was pretty toxic. Yeah, but that woman might not have overdosed. Right. You know? I mean being sued for seventeen and a half million dollars when the person you love is is dead and now her family's going after you, it's got to be insane. Yeah. It's got to be. Uh, uh, I mean, dude, it's it's craziness. I I feel like the move the move to the East Coast was was high on shitty decisions Steely Dan made, and. Uh, I, I think it ruined everything. They could have, they would have kept on churning out amazing albums. You can't. Uh, they could be the Beatles. They could be the American Beatles or something. Well, not the Beatles, but they could, you know. They could be the Black Beatles. They could be the Blackish. That Beatles. might be the stupidest thing anyone ever says. They're like the Black Beatles. Who says that about who? I don't know. Like people like Black Earl would say that. Oh, black. oh you know, live, you know, in living, you know, living color, they're like the Black Beatles. Black Earl is is a racist. Not, I, and I'm going to take that the to black the bank. Beetle. There's no such thing as the Black Beatles. All right. So, uh, no. That's and like just say there's the no white, white Supremes. Yeah. yeah, they're like the White Beatles. It's it's when people say they're the white something or the black something, they're the ones being racist. So eat a dick. Slime right. Family Stone was like the Black Beatles. No, they were not. Oh, All right, sorry. I am going to cut this off now. There is the Black a... Beatles. That's a good name for a band. No, it is not. Would you get sued? Uh, I guess if you spelled Beatles that way, you would. What if you spelled black that way? This has been episode number 66, all about Steely Dan. Uh, and we will be back uh, in the next week or so with another exciting episode. Dave, say your goodbyes without starting a new show. Your goodbyes. Oh, come on. Bye. Ugh. <laughs>